It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. You know, this is a time of giving, gift-giving. We're all looking forward to it. It's just uh, a couple of weeks away. And across my desk came a very interesting uh, a pitch from a PR person that I couldn't resist. Uh, Diane Dormeyer is with a, is executive director of the Creative Group. And what she wants to talk about are the weird and wonderful business gifts her company uh, found during a during their surveys. Um, as we ask every every guest before we get into it, because I'm really looking forward to it, uh, I'm going to ask Diane welcome her to the show and ask Diane to tell us a little bit about herself before we get into this weird and wonderful world of gifts. Diane, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Donald. It's a pleasure to be on the show. And uh, as you said, it is uh, it is the time of gift giving and gift receiving. And so the timing of uh, the research that we did um, obviously resonates very strongly with some people during what can be a stressful but wonderful time. So uh, as you said, Donald, I am the executive director for the Creative Group, which is a Robert Half company. Uh, a little bit about myself, uh, I have a background in uh, marketing and IT uh, and fell into the world of recruiting about 20 years ago um, with Robert Half. And so uh, I've been very fortunate to be a part of a growing company and uh, have worked with thousands of hiring managers as well as job seekers um, on both workplace trends as well as career management. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful world to be able to see the evolution of workplace trends, et cetera, and I've, I've kind of devoted my career to uh, helping to make that happen. Well, thank you. But first I have to tell you, only my mother called me Donald when she was angry at me. <laughs> the, whole, <laughs> the whole world, anyway, call me Don. Um, uh, now, Let's get right into it, Diane. What are some of the weird and wonderful um, business gifts you found over over time? And the, as I always say, the floor is yours. All right. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, I think all of us can point to examples of weird, wonderful, memorable, regrettable <laughs> gifts that we have received. And uh, we actually did a survey, not only from my own personal experience, but we did a survey of over 400 marketing executives to get their input on some of the things that you've seen. So, you know, when you think about this time of gift giving, um, you may have to consider, in addition to those in your personal lives, 
you may have to consider your colleague, you may have to consider your, um, your boss or your supervisor, your business partners, and your clients. And so um, we've seen examples of gifts that have been given that might fall into the categories of either you know, uh, thoughtless, thoughtful, you know, those that are odd, those that are lavish, you know, all kinds of different things. So, you know, as an example, the traditional gift that people, you know, joke about or used to think about sending was the fruitcake, right? So yeah. the age-old fruitcake is out there, and I'm sure there are wonderful fruitcakes. <laughs> um, is, is, is it true there's only one fruitcake and we just keep <laughs> passing it along to other people. Yeah, I don't know. I think I may have received that one that, you know, that may have been in circulation for the last 20 years. Um, but, you know, in addition to that, I mean, there's there's examples of, you know, odd Christmas gifts that have been given, right? So um, we had uh, a number of our um, executives said, you know, they received a kickball um, or a pig nose, right? So, you know, there may be an opportunity to be creative, but you want to make sure that it hits the mark of the, what the receiver is looking for, right? Um, we've seen, you know, um, things that kind of are more on the um, offensive side. One of our uh, executives said that they received a beard grooming kit for women um, or a muumu, right? So you got to be careful <laughs> about the messages, uh, that you may send with the gift. So you want it to be personal, maybe a little bit on the creative side, but it's got to hit the remark towards tasteful um, as well as professional, especially in the workplace. Absolutely. But can you give us a couple of examples of weird gifts that, you, that you, they, they told you about? Absolutely. So um, another executive said they received a case of beer, right? So again, if you know that your colleague or your um, client is someone that has a taste for that, wonderful, but others it might hit miss the mark. Um, we had another example of um, someone that sent a bottle of, and you know, we're a job uh, placement company, right, staffing company, so might be a unique way of trying to get your foot in the door, but maybe not hitting the mark. Someone sent a bottle of tequila with their resume attached. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what the message of the tequila meant, but we certainly know what the resume meant. <laughs> so, um, you know, so those are some odd things that we have seen sent over the years. Well, we'll keep going. I mean, uh um, well, you want to hear more? We've got oh, all absolutely. kinds of crazy oh, ones, right? Uh, so, <laughs> someone, when I posted this, someone said, uh, we're listening in. And by the way, if anyone wants to call in and talk about this, the, the number is 646-929-2337. That's 646-929-2337. But then, having said that, keep going. Diane. Yeah, I would say, you know, I would mention the uh, other, you know, kind of on the on the side of you're not really sure how to interpret them. Um, you know, uh, from a client standpoint, uh, you want to make sure that the gifts that you give are not overly lavish um, or, you know, they're tasteful, but they don't necessarily have to be too expensive. So um, and other examples that we've seen given as Christmas gifts, I'm not sure I would complain, but a cruise to the Caribbean. Uh, there was an individual who, who received a, uh, uh, a tasteful box, but it was filled with $100 bills. Um, there was another individual who received, without a personal, without a close relationship, opportunity to use a personal villa for a week, all of which are wonderful things, but you've got to be careful in giving those types of gifts as to what kind of an obligation that may have or um, so those are some of the other examples of things that we have seen um i would I'd switch on to on the more tasteful side um some examples of you know those types of gifts that really hit the mark like to the extent that it can be personal to an interest. So one individual cited um, um, that they were an individual that particularly loved to cook, and so they received a cookbook as well as a gift card um, to uh, you know a, a shop like Williams-Sonoma or Sur La Table. 
Um, so if you can make it personal to their interests, very helpful. Um, another that hit the mark is an individual who um, loved to travel a fair amount, and so they received a, um, a gift certificate to a hotel, or they received a care package. It was memorable, which was a care package for an upcoming trip that they may have had. Um, so to the extent that the gifts that you can give, you want them to be memorable, but to the extent that they can match a particular interest, um, of that individual, you're more likely to uh, to hit it on the hit it on hit the nail on the head, if you will. Well, let me. Uh, but sometimes um, uh, uh, companies have policies. You can't mm. receive a gift to more than twenty. You you should know that, huh? Right. You should. So to the uh, to the point of protocol. What is the protocol of the company? Right. So if you're internally and and if you may may be less familiar, you can ask around. Um, absolutely, from a corporation standpoint, many organizations have limits that uh, keep that um, that limit you from receiving gifts that are under, say, an amount of twenty-five dollars. So, oftentimes, it is better to think about the thoughtfulness of the gift versus the the cost of the gift, right? And especially when giving to clients, from an internal standpoint, considering your boss or your colleague, um, think more so about the old adage of it's the thought that counts, but make it thoughtful. It doesn't have to be expensive. Um, some of the best well-received gifts, everybody loves to eat, right? So you see a lot of that happening in the office. But aside from the fruitcake and the chocolates and the candy, you know, a lot of people will mix it up and, and they'll have fruits or they'll have savory items or they'll have popcorn. So you can, the more you can give something that can be shared, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be expensive. It's very, very well appreciated. So it's the thoughtfulness that counts. We have someone calling in, and we're going to see if he's a caller or the next guest. Welcome from 512. Oh, hi. This is Adam Hollander from Fantasy Sales Team. How are you? Hi, pretty good. Uh, do you have a question, Alex? Oh, no. I believe I'm your next guest, actually. Okay. Well, we're... We now know you're on and waiting, and we'll be right next. To, we'll be with you in a few minutes, so stand by, okay? Sounds great. So, Donna, you know, a couple of other things, I guess, just things that we heard through our research or we've seen over the years that also can make a tremendous impact that don't, again, necessarily need to be expensive are, you know, those things that have some usefulness or staying power. Um, I know I, for one year, received uh, from a colleague a, a really wonderful small set of holiday dishes that I bring out every year, and I will never forget who they came from. Um, but also, you know, it, it, it's also okay to establish some of the things that we heard that were most positive was in some cases establishing a tradition. If you give a gift to your colleagues or your employees or your clients every year, um, it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be something different. Um, so as an example, you know, you may send ginger snaps every single year and the family looks forward to receiving them. But again, it's something to be shared, doesn't need to be expensive. And you're really after making it personal, making it meaningful, um, to the extent that it has kind of lasting power, you know, even better. Well, that, that's that's the case. Uh, um, I want to go back to your point about appropriateness. Uh, a woman, uh, a, a coworker, received uh, his and her towels uh, two weeks after her husband died, <laughs> and uh, that to me was the. Uh, I mean, the poor the sender, I'm sure, did not know. But it, but she broke down right in the office. So you, you, again, you have to look out for things. I thought it was a great gift, but it was the wrong time. Mm -hmm. um, right. But, right. Uh, you know, uh, I I saw a survey uh, a couple of days ago that said gift giving amongst the um, uh, uh, amongst businesses. Uh, is expected to increase this year, as uh, also uh, Christmas parties have um, 
apparently rebounded. They've been kind of da- down in terms of uh, companies giving Christmas parties uh, over the last, understandably, the last few years. But um, what what about company uh, at company parties uh, giving out? Uh, I don't know if you've got into this. There's been a discussion. Do you give out awards at a Christmas party or not, or a holiday party? Um, uh, do you have any thoughts on that? I would say most organizations take care in separating kind of if they were to do kind of an annual recognition banquet, um, oftentimes they separate that recognition from the holiday party. The holiday party oftentimes, and it doesn't always happen in December, many organizations have moved to having their holiday party um, as a New Year party, at which point then it may have a bit more of recognition from the previous year. But the holiday party for most organizations is – an appreciation for the work that's been well done. It is a social event. Um, Of course, we've all heard stories of where uh, individuals think of it as being too social and forget that it is a work event, (laughs) right? And those are the ones that end up with the lampshade and, you know, say something inappropriate to the boss. Um, But um, I would say, you know, more companies separate recognition from holiday. Now, what I will say is that those organizations that do some types of awards um, or recognition for a year, you know, that was a strong year or individual, um, they will tend to then make that a little bit more of the main event than the fact that it's a holiday celebration, right? So That's a, that's um, a smarter way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It may happen over the holidays, it may happen over New Year's, but it's not the holiday event. It is their annual kind of recognition event, because oftentimes when individuals come for the holiday party, um, there's always, most organizations will still do some words of appreciation to staff. More and more companies recognize um, and appreciate not only the staff, but the significant others that may or may not be present, because that's a big part of how hard everyone works. Um, and so there's always a bit of that. But when, when most people come to the holiday party, they're really looking for kind of a celebration of the year um, and, and tend to be a little bit less formal than a recognition banquet. Well, to veer a little bit on that, um, eBay today announced that it was uh, downsizing 10% of its uh, workforce uh, which uh, is a stunning uh, holiday event. Um, would you want to comment on that at all? You know, I, I I I don't know that I could comment on, of course, the the inner workings at eBay. Um, no, you I, know, I just certainly. Certainly, you know, timing-wise, um, they're not the first organization that's that's done year-end adjustments like that. Um, and, uh, you know, I think any organization, when faced with significant change, um, whether it's, you know, kind of on the positive or something that's less positive, such as that situation, um, needs to navigate those waters very carefully and yet at the same time make sure that they're weaving through that, you know, appropriate appreciation for every staff member that they have on, you know, on their team. Now, that's a great thought. Would you mind repeating that one? Because I thought that was a great – I hadn't thought of it that way. You, you, we always look at the uh, downside of that, but uh, we saw – Right. I mean, organizations, you know, regardless of size, small to large, you know, at times have to make um, difficult decisions. But through that, most organizations have learned that you've got to be very, very – over you know open with communication but also making sure that there is a even in times of making a difficult decision uh that or announcement that they're they're doing it in the manner too that also continues to appreciate kind of all employees at the same time um right so i'm i'm sure that organizations like ebay are are working to help the transition of those that are leaving, but they also need to continue to appreciate those that that will stay behind and and help them, you know, in the coming year. Well, Diane, uh, again, your organization? Um, The Creative Group, which is a Robert Half company. Okay. Would you mind staying on a few minutes while we talk with our next guest and chime in if it's appropriate? 
your topics are all today are also fitting for year end. I'd be very, very happy to be a part of it. Okay. And Welcome. thank you very much for having me. No, no, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll thank you again later on. Okay. Our, our next guest, please introduce yourself. Oh, hi. Uh, my name is Adam Hollander. I'm the CEO of Fantasy Sales Team. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself um, uh, before we get into your main topic. <laughs> sure. Um, when you say myself, do you want my personal background or uh, the uh, background personal. of the company? We, we like to per- no personal. We like to <laughs> have our guests talk a little bit about personal. Sure. Um, so um, I've spent the majority of my career in a variety of sales and sales management roles. Uh, companies such as uh, Tech Target, the Aberdeen Group, uh, Hart Hanks, and a couple of years ago, I founded Fantasy Sales Team, which is a software company based in Austin, Texas, focused around sales gamification. And we've taken uh, funding in uh, the last eight months or so from ATX Seed Ventures uh, here in Austin, as well as the Central Texas Angel Network, and are growing our business here in Austin, Texas. But you didn't tell us about, well, you said a little bit of your background. So so we're going to talk about sales. Great. Correct? Sure. Okay. The floor is yours. You're 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 invited because you're you're an expert. So I guess my first question is, what does your company do, and how does it how will it help small business? Sure, it's a great question. So uh, building a little bit on my own personal background, I mentioned that I've spent the majority of my career in sales management, and to you know go back a couple of years before I founded this company. I was a sales manager up in Boston managing a mid-sized team for a relatively small business. And like most sales managers, I was always running some form of sales contest or incentive or spiff to motivate my reps to do more. Well, a couple years ago, a woman from my sales ops team, she sat me down and she showed me some sales data that was very puzzling to me. She showed me that I really wasn't getting almost any value out of my sales contest. I wasn't seeing much of a return. The months when I was running contests with my teams didn't look a heck of a lot different from when I wasn't, and my team's results didn't look very different from teams that weren't spending nearly as much money or time or operational resources in finding additional ways to incentivize the reps. So she had asked me the question, candidly, does it make sense to keep doing this? And like I mentioned, I I was very puzzled by this because the contests that I was running with my team were very similar in format to the ones that my old managers had always used with me, and they had always really motivated me to perform. And I didn't understand why I wasn't seeing the same result with my own sales reps. So I used it as an opportunity to start talking to a number of my reps about why aren't you motivated by these contests and extra incentives. And very quickly, I came to realize two key reasons why my own incentives were underperforming. The first thing that I came to recognize is that I had a set of top-performing sales reps on my team, just like any team. It doesn't matter if you have five sales reps, 50, 500, or 5,000. You're always going to have a top tier that generally are just better than the rest of them, and they're better for any number of reasons. It could be experience, territory, skill set, And so I, of course, had a top tier in my team. And not surprisingly, they were winning almost all of my sales contests. So that was a challenge for me for a couple reasons. One is that my top reps were not the ones that I was really looking to motivate as a manager. They're self-motivated. It's in their DNA to always hit their targets. And I was always looking for ways to motivate the middle 50% and bottom 30% of my team, the folks that really need that extra push. But when I talked to them, what I found was that I was actually doing almost the opposite. They were getting frustrated and even demotivated at times when I would roll out new contests and incentives because they never felt like they had much of a chance to win. Now, the second thing that I came to recognize is that I wasn't keeping my reps engaged throughout the duration of my contests and incentives. So I would roll something out and I would let them know about a new challenge or a new contest and it would feel to me like it was working because they would clap, they would start talking about the prizes, smack-talking amongst each other. But what ends up happening is reps inevitably fall behind. And once a rep falls too far behind the goal or the leader or out of contention, 
they stop paying attention, they disengage entirely, and of course as a manager I stop getting any incremental benefit or improvement from that rep. And so I came to recognize that if I wanted to keep running sales contests and putting operational time and resources into them, that I needed to really focus on two things. One is leveling the playing field and making sure that all of my reps have an opportunity to win and to perform. And the second is how do I find ways to keep them motivated and engaged longer, ideally through the duration of the entire contest. So at the time I had noticed that a lot of my reps were playing fantasy football and they were very motivated by that and very competitive and outspoken about it. And so I started thinking about how can I bring that type of culture into the office. And so I started thinking about two different things that I could do for my next sales contest. One was allowing my reps to earn points for everything that they do, not just their results and closing business, but what if I allow them to earn points for every phone call they make or every opportunity they uncover, every meeting that they hold. And that way the reps that aren't the traditional top performers could have an opportunity to compete in the game because they always are in control over their own activity and their own behaviors. The now, other let aspect... Me, let, let me just interrupt you one second. You sure, set up course. this thing. <clears throat> we have another guest, and I want to tell to tell him. Chris? Um, Chris Cooley? Yes. Uh, how are you? Um, I'm doing great. You, you're, on, you're on the board, and you're going to uh, be on in a few minutes, so just be patient. Okay? No problem. Thanks. And sorry now about that, Chris. I didn't actually realize there was uh, anyone else on. I wouldn't have monopolized all the time. <laughs> no, no, no. This is your time. Uh, oh, okay. You, this is your time. I just wanted to reassure Chris that he's going to come on. Fantastic. Um, so, so to pick up so you, um, so, what I was saying. Well, let me it, just, uh, for our audience. So you, you, you realize that you had to motivate not only the top 20%, but, but the other 80%. And, Correct. And uh, you wanted them to um, uh, be rewarded for things that they uh, uh, did that didn't necessarily result in a sale. Would that be a summation? Yes, I wanted to start rewarding them for their activities and their behaviors in addition to their results, yes. Okay. I just wanted for our audience, because I interrupted you. But oh, no, no now, problem at all. Um, what, what I was about to say is that in addition to that, because candidly, you know, if you look at the concept of gamification, especially as it applies to sales, allowing reps now to earn points for everything they do or whatever activities they are accomplishing in their CRM, it's not really all that unique or novel of a concept anymore. Um, what we have done that's very unique at Fantasy Sales Team is we've created games where the reps are responsible for building and drafting teams of each other. And so every rep inside of our games, as well as, by the way, the managers, the operational executives, the management, they, when they interact in our games and our platform, are asked to draft their own personal fantasy team of the sales reps that are playing the game. And the way that your fantasy team then earns points is having the folks that you drafted for your team performing against their sales metrics. So it creates a new culture inside of the companies that we work with where everybody is pushing and relying on each other and investing in the success of those around them, and they recognize that they can't win the game alone. And so what we've done is we've built a software platform that allows you to run these types of very dynamic games. And, of course, you can see leaderboards and badges and you know profiles of the reps, and you can see performance charting over time. But what really is the secret sauce is allowing everybody in the game to build and manage teams of each other so that everybody is paying attention to the results of the reps around them and everybody is relying on their peers and their friends in order for their fantasy team to compete in the game. Okay. And how successful has it been? Uh, I would say wildly successful. So we launched the product a little over a year ago. Uh, we have over 100 companies that have paid to use it. Uh, we have some very large customers like HP, Dell, CenturyLink, Comcast, and others that use it with hundreds to thousands of reps at a time. And then we have dozens upon dozens of small and mid-market business using it with just about any size team. And we've got software companies, insurance, healthcare, car dealerships, you name it, that are all successfully using the application to motivate their teams. 
Well, you know, it's funny. I was at the HP uh, Boise facility uh, uh, earlier this year, and uh, uh, I came into a room, and now I know what was going on in that room because they were apparently having a a team drafting or whatever you call it. And uh, um, uh, it was very interesting. The the PR people were very embarrassed because they were very raucous. And sometimes they were very raucous in the drawing. So uh, now I know what was happening. It's it's funny. Very interesting. Could I just interrupt? Diane, um, I'm going to ask you, uh, do you know about the uh, this and what are your thoughts? Um, I'm I'm not familiar with the product. It sounds very interesting, and so uh, it was something that that I actually wrote down. Like, oh, I'd love to look into that a little bit more. But but clearly, as it relates to um, uh, companies that we've worked with with large sales teams, there are so many different ways of. Um, setting up programs for recognition and reward, but what you, you're talking about is the ability to actually change behavior and capitalize on collaboration with the sales team. Um, and I would say that there are many companies that would, would would be very hungry for something like that and others who really recognize that it's not just about the recognition and reward, but it's also that team collaboration. So I think it sounds very exciting. Well, you've nailed it, so uh, thank yeah. you for that. Well, um, I, I, I want want you to stay on. I want to bring in Chris Gooley, uh, who's going to offer some painless ways of keeping customers. And if you wouldn't mind staying on, we'll, we'll try sure. to make this as interactive as possible. Okay? That sounds great. Great. Chris, you're now on. Welcome aboard. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, Chris, you're going to offer painless ways of keeping customers. We've been talking about uh, uh, we've been talking about weird and, and wonderful business gifts. We've been talking about how to motivate. Now you're going to talk about how painless ways of keeping customers. Yeah, absolutely. We um, we here at Preact are focused on uh, this this new area that's being called customer success and trying to find ways that, uh, that companies of all different types can retain their customers and make them more successful in the product. Well, we always ask our guests to say a little bit about themselves personally. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, great. So my my background's in computer science, and so I went to school for computer science and almost immediately out of school started working for different kinds of startups that were trying to solve technical challenging problems. And uh, through the course of that experience through five or six different companies, um, including some that I started on my own, I realized that there's a really challenging problem here of understanding what your customers are doing when you can't talk to them all the time. And so one of the companies that I founded with my uh, my co-founder was a photo sharing service called Folio HD. And as it was growing from hundreds of users to tens of thousands of users, it became very difficult to, to track everyone. And so from that pain and pain that I had felt elsewhere, uh, we developed what is now Preact. And so that's that's a quick quick overview of, of, of what we do. But tell us a little bit about how um, um, how... How do you keep uh, uh, painless ways of keeping customers? Yeah, you bet. So there's a whole bunch of different things that you can take. I've, I've chosen a few that uh, will apply to different kinds of businesses. The, uh, the most important takeaway, I think, is that all businesses are different, and so it's important to consider what your customers need. Uh, most of the companies that we work with are software companies. They provide applications uh, like tools for building websites or apps that you might have on your phone. And so many of the tips that, uh, that I'd love to share are re- very relevant for those kinds of companies, but I think they also translate into offline businesses and, and anyone who has customers because my basic belief is that you can't have a successful company if you don't have successful customers. So the, what are those one tips? of the ones... Yeah, so I, th- I think the first one to think about is is communication with your co- with your customers. So we do a lot of interaction with our customers, and we encourage it with ours. So survey your customers. There's a, a survey called the Net Promoter Score, which you can do, which is a very simple question. It asks your customers, how likely are you to recommend us to somebody else? And that simple question tends to pull out and find the uh, interesting people that may or may not be enjoying your service that you can then use to follow up with. It's something there are many services. We partner with one called Wootrick to do that survey, the, the surveys. And uh, that's a quick way. It, it 
customers and, and people in general, humans, love to feel like they're being listened to. And it's a very simple way to, to foster that kind of um, interest in your customers as well as providing huge value for the business. Well, it's interesting you say that because I just finished uh, filling out. I'm a season ticket holder with the Jets, and mm-hmm. and uh, who are having a terrible season. And uh, uh, what you said, they came back to that question three or four times in the survey, and I, I found that very interesting. Maybe they were hoping to change your answer. <laughs> uh, they can't, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, but. Give us another one. So I think the one of the things that we've seen lately is everybody's familiar with Zappos, and they have this reputation for being incredibly great at service to their customers. And if you've ever seen photos or visited their offices, you can see very quickly that Zappos themselves, the company, treat their employees with incredible care. They love their employees, and that just – when you're talking on the phone with somebody who is smiling because they love their job, you can tell. And so that's the another thing that I would suggest is as a company who is trying to provide fantastic service, make sure the people who are providing that service are happy at your company. And some of the things, the fantastic gifts and, and making sure that, that, uh, that everybody feels appreciated is a great step towards achieving those goals. Well, can I segue in here? Our last guest is Jen Lawrence, who just came on uh, my board. Uh, Jen, are you with us? I am. Hello. Hello. We we have um uh, uh we now have uh, four guests on the program which we seldom at the same time which we seldom do but it all seems to be working together. You're the author of Engage the Fox, which I love the title, on how to have difficult but productive talks with employees. And uh, it, we seem to be really uh, uh we have some someone on who's talking about the uh, 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 sales incentive programs. We have uh, someone who talks about weird and wonderful business gifts and someone who's uh, offering us ways of keeping customers. Um, but uh, let me, let me uh, at this point ask you, and I, I appreciate the patience of the other um, uh, you, you're here to talk about how to get productive uh, how to have productive talks with employees. And so um, uh, first, tell us a little bit about yourself personally, and then I'm going to ask you a question and then go back to all of the uh, uh, our guests tonight and kind of try to make this an interactive type of program. Oh, but first, perfect. Uh, tell us a little I'll, bit I'll about I'll let you, you know a, a little bit about me. So my name is uh, Jen Lawrence, not to be mistaken with Jennifer Lawrence, so that's always uh, confusing for everybody, but um, I'm the author of Engage the Fox, and it's a business fable about thinking critically and motivating your team. Um, I have a background in management consulting and in investment banking, so I've seen a lot of what not to do out there in the workforce, and so I wanted to write a little bit about what to do. Um, how to motivate people when you can't necessarily just throw money at them and how people pick and how people work best together. So that's where uh, that's where I'm coming from. That's what the book is about, and it sounds like um, I'm joining a conversation about just those kinds of things. So I'm excited to be here. Well, uh, give us one or two tips on how to uh, have a productive talk. I like to think about how you'd like the news to be delivered to you. Um, there are all sorts of ways to deliver bad news. Um, I tend to be a pretty straight shooter, so I don't like people to sugarcoat things with me. I just like to hear things as they are. Um, but part of what I talk about in the book is that there are all sorts of different personality types. I use a lot of the Myers-Briggs type indicator as a background for the book. And, you know, some people need things a little bit more velvet glove treatment. Other people like to have things just absolutely, you know, straightforward, and if you can tailor the message a little bit to who you're speaking to, that can be really helpful. You know, there are people who are very sensitive and you need to spend a little more time with them. There are those who just want to hear the message and and move on. So I always say think about how you'd like the news to be delivered to you and how you think the person you're talking to would like to have that news delivered. Um, So that kind of dovetails into deliver the truth with love. Um, often managers and leaders have to give really bad news. You, I, I mean, I personally had to announce layoffs. 
I've had to fire people with cause. I've had to give negative feedback during performance reviews. But I always think about how can I help this person improve their performance? So in other words, this isn't about punishment, you know, giving them the, the bad news. It's about helping their performance. And sometimes even if you're letting someone go with cause, it's really about helping them find a job that's going to better suit their skill set. So, you know, try to think about it in terms of giving them opportunities. And uh, and that can go a long way towards helping that, you know, kind of that spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. And the, the final point is just don't personalize it. You know, talk about, for example, if your sales, you know, a salesperson isn't quite up to scratch, talk about you missed last month's sales target and be really specific about where they missed their numbers rather than, you know, you're a bad salesperson or, you know, you're just not great at sales because that, that just sounds like blame and makes people angry and they tend not to take in the information. So, you know, how do you deliver it? Truth with love and don't personalize it. Okay. Does anybody want to comment on that? Don't be bashful. I I would, you know, this is Diane, um, Don, and Jen. What I, what strikes me is uh, in having those difficult conversations, but also related to the previous topics that you have on the show, is uh, you know so much of whether com- communicating with employees, with sales staff, with your clients, you know, is personal. You said don't personalize the message, but it's really understanding how they would receive a message. Certain messages we listen to and others we don't, right? So, Chris, you even mentioned, you know, the great customer service by Zappos. I happened to look up your show today, Don, and Zappos marketed to me via very targeted advertising some really great Kate Spade shoes. So normally I don't want to pay attention to those ads, but Zappos has figured out how to do target advertising to me um, you know, probably with the help of their marketing and their advertising agency because it's a message I'm going to listen to, right? So whether it's sales teams, whether it's your employees, or whether, you know, you're giving gifts, try and think about how that message will be received. Chris, can you Chris, can you tell us how you did it? You just got a big uh, a plug. <laughs> well, so I think the, um, the thing that's, that, that all of this boils down to is there's a lot of communication going on. And we, at, at, at Preact, we tend to focus on helping you communicate with customers. But the same principles apply when you're communicating with, with your employees or your friends, your family, that there's, there's a tone, there's a, a way that one-to-one personalizations like that, like that advertisement that you saw that is a pair of shoes that Zappos thinks that you're going to buy, that one-to-one um, understanding of the person you're talking to can, can do wonders in the communication that's possible. We we help people understand when they're when it's a salesperson about to call somebody on a trial. What is that person actually doing with your product? Don't just call them and ask them what they've been doing. Call them and help them be successful. Talking to employees, same thing. You 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 need to talk to some people who are more sensitive in a different way. And I think Jen's exactly right. Um, one of my previous companies that I worked with uh, did a behavioral assessment in the workplace and and output a result so that managers understood how to best communicate with their direct reports. And uh, and it just it saw amazing ways in in making that communication flow more freely and and be understood and received in the in the in the spirit that it's that it's intended. Uh, our, uh, our other guest, um, you're introducing games. How do you communicate with them? Well, so when you say who, uh, how do we communicate, do you mean how do we communicate with customers? Uh, no, how do you communicate with the employees? Um, and uh, Generally, how do you introduce your program in? Well, so to be clear, the the software that we create, um, we work with customers so that they can use it with their employees and their sales reps. Um, We do use it internally. And so when we um, roll out our games, you know, to the points that some of the other guests have made, you know, you do have to motivate people in context for their own role and for the type of employee that they are. So, you know, we find that the types of prizes that you might use in the games, the type of metrics that you might embed, the type of style of game really does depend on the culture of the company. It depends on the um, result that you're looking to gain. Um, but I, I suppose, to be candid, I, I'm not quite understanding your question. 
Well, probably because I didn't phrase it correctly. When you work with your customers, how do you help them introduce it? And uh, to get back to Jen uh, Lawrence's uh, point, uh, how do you deal um, with the with the, the losing teams? Um, I'm sure they're a little disappointed, but. Uh, Sure. I think I understand the question now. Um, so we do have client success managers um, to the point that was made earlier. Um, it's a trend that really has uh, had a very large impact on us and our business. Um, so every one of our customers, we do work with them one-on-one -on -one and have somebody hold their hand, not only in the creation of their game, but to your point in rolling it out and working with the company on kickoff materials and announcement materials and training materials and making sure that they can use the product effectively. Um, to answer your question about the, the quote-unquote losing teams, uh, we really do design so many different ways to win inside of our games that we do um, really help to keep a large majority of the group in contention and giving everybody different ways that they can potentially compete and win prizes. Um, but sales is a very competitive culture, and you know, in the end there are, of course, folks that end up uh, towards the top and there are folks that didn't. But the goal, um, as far as our product goes, is to keep as many of them motivated for as long as possible so that they don't disengage when they realize that they've fallen too far behind to win. And, Don, this is, Diane, a couple things I'm sure, too, that as Jen uh, discusses the challenge of having difficult conversations, this is the time of year where oftentimes there are performance reviews that happen. Um, and so you've got those you want to recognize, you have those you need to have difficult conversations with, and those that are in the middle. So first of all, I think that takes a fair amount of preparation to make sure that you understand how best that person will receive the message, whether it be positive or otherwise, um, knowing their true motivations. And second of all, as it relates to difficult performance discussions, not to wait until performance review, but and I'm sure, Jen, you would agree, but to have those conversations Absolutely. regularly throughout the year so they don't come as a surprise right at year end. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. It's, um, yeah, people should, reviews should never be a shock. <laughs> you should know what's coming and have had lots of constructive conversations before that happens, so I completely agree with you. Well, Benjamin, uh, we'll give you give us another tip on on uh, uh, productive talks with employees. Um, I like to find out what employees are looking for from their career as well. I find often when someone is not doing well in their particular role, often they're in the wrong role, and they know that too. I mean, as much as it's unpleasant to have to manage or lead someone who isn't doing well. It's awful, and I think we've all had jobs that we just feel like, whoa, how did I end up here? So, you know, a lot of what I like to do is to talk with the people, and, and again, it's nice when, as you brought up, you're doing this throughout the year rather than leaving it all for review time when the stakes seem so high, to say, you know, what is it that you want out of the year? Where where can we help put you? Um, where can we help place you? I remember one of the most formative jobs that I've ever had that informed really everything else that I've done in business, um, I, I ran a museum that was not doing well, and everyone was going to be let go, and we knew this. And the only thing that I could offer to the employees to keep them there for the next several months was to say, what do you want to do with your career, and how can I help craft a job that will help get you there? And it was so instructive because so many people were working in something that was really different than where their dreams and goals were. So often as a manager, if you can sit down and, and just ask, like, what is it that you want to do? Where do you think you could make your best contribution? You'll find that you're bringing things out of your people that both of you never imagined, and that's a really cool thing when you're leading an organization. Uh, Chris, what is, how do you deal with um, when your customers, uh, as I, I had on a program a few weeks ago, uh, when you you realize you, you're not serving your customers well, and they and they uh, it was a case study where the customers really didn't understand what the company did. Yeah, that's an interesting question. We uh, we recently did a survey ourselves and and discovered that that overselling and overpromising was one of the big problems that uh, that customers had in being successful. They thought uh, they were sold. A, a product that the product may not actually do. 
And so I think the the onboarding process, the, the process where you are training the customer on your product is the most vital part of the of the early stage of the customer relationship. You have to as somebody who's working with a customer, you oftentimes have to be very creative. The, your product may do three things and a customer wants a fourth thing. Uh, oftentimes you can figure out how to make that fourth thing happen. And so people like on our team here at Preact that are, are working directly with customers are partially serving the customers and, and partially they're, they're, they're problem solvers. They're trying to find ways to use the, the tools that they have, our, our product, to solve the customer's problems. And sometimes that can be very challenging. Sometimes it requires just a, a different angle of looking at it. So with uh, with a dissatisfied customer, the, the first thing you have to do is find out why are they dissatisfied and is it, is it something that you can solve? Well, well, let's stop a moment and reintroduce everybody. Uh, Diane, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about your company, and then we'll just go down down the list so our listeners uh, know who, who who they're hearing from. Absolutely. I'm Diane Domeyer, Executive Director for the Creative Group, which is a Robert Half company. And, Don, we specialize uh, – we're a specialized staffing firm that works with marketing and creative um, – with connecting marketing and creative professionals with companies looking to hire in marketing, creative, interactive, advertising, and public relations fields. So we do that placement on a contract, contract to hire, direct hire uh, basis, and project teams throughout North America. And uh, in addition to doing that, we, um, as being a part of the Robert Half organization, work with um, hundreds of thousands of clients worldwide. And so we also um, do a fair amount of workplace and career management research, uh, which we love to give back. So uh, it's been an honor to be on the call and uh, uh, share what we've seen through our client companies. Uh, We'll do ladies first. First, Jen, uh, you're the author of? Uh, I'm the author of Engage the Fox, a business fable about thinking critically and motivating your team. It just came out in October. And I'm also a principal with Process Design Consultant. And we focus on helping clients with strategic thinking, critical thinking, uh, project management, process management, and creative thinking. So it's uh, And the book has certainly been a fun process. It reads like a novel, so if you're looking for an easy-to-read business book this holiday season, um, it's kind of a fun one, I hear. So. Uh, Chris? Yeah, I'm Christopher Gooley. I'm the co-founder of Preact, and uh, Preact is a, a predictive customer success platform. So we look at behavior and all kinds of signals around our customers' apps to help them better serve their customers. And the the goal here is to to increase conversion by maximizing the the the, the value between the customer and the company, so that everybody wins in the end. And uh, last uh, but certainly not least. Uh, hi, I'm Adam Hollander. I'm the CEO of Fantasy Sales Team. Uh, Fantasy Sales Team is a sales gamification platform. We work with sales teams of all sizes to help them run higher performing and more interactive sales contests with their reps. The goal is to create environments where the company can motivate more than just the traditional top 20% of their team, keep more of the team motivated for as long as possible so that they can increase ROI. Uh, I uh, Ask this question. You're all rel- uh, uh, relatively small companies. Robert Hass certainly isn't. But I'll start with you, Adam, and ask, what is the single um, uh, uh, thing you would tell our small business audience, 59% of whom are CEOs and or owners, uh, that you've learned over the years? Sure. Well, I think what we've learned is that no matter what the size of the team, it doesn't matter if you have four sales reps, if you have 40, or if you have 400, you really need to focus on finding ways to motivate more than just your traditional top performers. Uh, Most times when companies want to find additional ways to motivate their sales reps, they put traditional things in place like, you know, whoever books the most business this month gets this, or whoever hits the highest percentage of quota gets this. And those types of incentives, what we found is that they really only motivate a very small portion of your team and really the wrong portion of your team. And, again, even if you only have three, four, or five sales reps, 
what you end up doing is you motivate the one or two that are your traditional top performers and you demotivate everybody else. And there are better ways to look at it, whether you're in a small, mid-market, or a large company. Okay. Chris, what's the single most uh, you would offer uh, advice to our audience? Um, I would say it's, it's persistence. This is Preact is the third company that I've started. Um, it is it's the first one where we've taken outside funding from investors, and it um, it took three companies to get here, and it took all of the companies that I worked for other people and learned from other great uh, founders and CEOs, and uh, it's practice and persistence that uh, that allows you to do it. As, as I'm sure all of your listeners would would uh, would agree with, it, uh, it it almost never works the first time. And so uh, you figure out the second time and, and the, the, the traits that I see in, in really successful small business and, and, and growing um, in, you know, startups and, and, and such is that they just never they, – it's impossible for them to give up. Jen, what single piece of advice would you give our audience? Um, I would say to surround yourself with people who think differently than you. I think startups are very similar to – management consulting and investment banking, where there tends to be a pretty similar type. The first people into startups tend to be very similar to the founder. Banks and consulting firms work the same way. Companies that I see do really, really well are people who surround themselves with people who think differently. They'll help push you into areas you didn't think you would go. They help balance your thinking. So I would just say surround yourself with uh, diverse thinking. Diane, you started, now you'll finish. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, obviously this a little bit more seasonally. Uh, this is the time of year recognizing that you have, as any organization, you have customers and you also external customers and you have internal customers. And so those internal customers, in many cases, being your employees. So this is an important time of year, obviously, to determine are you appropriately recognizing both your employees and your clients? Have you appropriately assessed those relationships for where you can have improvements in the following year and then utilize that as an opportunity to kind of drive a strategic plan coming into the following year? So while the holidays can be a tremendous amount of fun and, you know, some obviously emphasize the stress related to the holidays, um, it can also be a very important time for organizations to kind of stop and take stock of that customer relationship, employees, clients, and then goals and plans for the following year. Well, I want to thank all all four of you for uh, having the patience to stay on with us and uh, offer what I think is some terrific advice. Um, I really appreciate it, and I hope this holiday season is uh, uh, joyous for all of us. Thank you so much. Happy holidays, everybody. Thank you, and happy holidays. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you all, Adam, Diane, Ken, Jen, and Chris, for being with us. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzini. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.